Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Market Show. I am John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle. I am joined today by Stephen Wilmot, company's editor. Hi, John. How are you doing? Very well. Good. Jonas Crosland, one of our company's team, who's written the cover feature this week. How are you, Jonas? Hello. Very well, thanks. Yep. Wonderful. And uh, over the control room, we have Graham Davis. Hello, John. You've been looking after the news this week? Yeah, back in the news saddle. Wonderful. Is it like riding a bike? Never forget? Yeah, I'm a little bit saddle sore, but you know. Yeah. It's a quiet, <laughs> quiet week, wasn't it, Graham? It was a quiet week compared to the last few, yeah. Indeed, indeed. Yeah. And uh, Mark Robinson, back from his uh, his travels in Greece. How are you, Mark? Oh, polycalo. Whatever that means. Um, okay, and Mark's going to talk to us very shortly about Glencore because it's uh, it's been a, an absolute massacre on the Glencore front. Um, but before we do that, uh, Graham, let us talk hmm. uh, seven days. What's What's been going on? What are the big stories yeah. this week? Well, this, this, this week marked the, uh, the end of the third quarter. Uh, markets had a bit of a bit of a spew on Monday and Tuesday, and and fell out of bed a little bit. Partly uh, encouraged by Glencore's slump, but mm-hmm. I'm going to talk about that with Mark in a minute. And then yesterday and today, the markets have suddenly jumped back. Um, the sun's shining; everything looks rosy again. Okay, so 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 um, beyond the the arbitrary, what have we actually got uh, specifically um, in terms of news? <laughs> Sainsbury's that's a good one because yeah, the supermarkets. Having a torrid time, some light at the end of the tunnel here. Really interesting yesterday, yeah. That well, the reaction to Sainsbury's slightly positive trading statement was a twelve percent leap in the shares, blind, uh, which is a big move for them. I know it's been a long, long haul. Yeah, there were signs in their current trading that they they they, they could well slightly beat market forecasts. In the yeah, video. so sales were up 03 percent. Yeah, it's twelve percent jump in the shares. Mm, yeah. Well, no, it, that makes sense. It, it was the outlook statement that got right. everybody excited, and that they suggested that things that were were, in, were improving, or certainly you know they've hit they've hit a trough, and and volumes uh, volumes are up, and and basket sizes are up, and that sort of thing. For Sainsbury's, I mean, if you look at our chart of the week this week, um, you know the last twelve weeks has not been very kind to Sainsbury's main rivals. Uh, Tesco, Asda, and Morrison's sales are still bleeding away there, and and the the, the small German discounters are, are bouncing ahead. So, did Sainsbury's give any indication of what they're doing differently? That well, that's... oh, it's quality, isn't it? You know, no, they they put it down to quality, and they've they've made some pri- investments in pricing. They brought some prices down, and their you know, and their convenience arm is actually one area that is going well for them. Unlike the Morrison's, which is selling its convenience on yeah um, yeah so yeah interesting times tesco's got its half year results next week so um uh, be interesting to see how they've done but okay. maybe light at the end of a very long tunnel for the supermarket i guess this is a signal that the much vaunted consumer boom is actually finding finally finding its way into into the grocery sector yeah hopefully. so which it seems to have for swerved completely up till now mm, yeah exactly and uh the consumers are, 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 have a bit more money in their pocket wage growth is is on the up so yeah maybe maybe people are finally um uh, you know, switching back to the major supermarkets. Mm. Aldi and Lidl still doing well, though. Absolutely, they're flying. And yeah. Aldi, interestingly enough, are going online. Are they really? Yeah, but only they're starting off with wine and then moving into non-food categories, so they're not quite going into grocery yet, but it's a, it's a toe in the water, I think. All right, we've got an Aldi and a Lidl opening in our town. There you go. And a Waitrose has pulled out. Shows you where <laughs> I live. quite <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, housing uh, looks okay too. Mortgage approvals um, moving up, yeah, hitting a record this up. month. Yeah, that's uh, 3.4 billion in the month, the biggest monthly rise since May 2008. So we're talking, you know, back pre credit crunch financial crisis times. Now, Jonas, this is something you keep an eye on, isn't it? The, mm. uh, the housing market. Any any explanation there? Any uh, 
Any kind of clear trend that's driving mortgage approvals? Uh, I think there's the, the biggest influence is probably um, a growing awareness of uh, interest rates going up. So there could be a, 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 an element of people piling in and getting fixed rate mortgages now before they become more expensive. So are these remortgages, a lot of these then? Yeah, exactly. Right, right. What about the new purchase, the first-time buyers or the, the movers? I mean, what's, what are they looking like in terms of approvals? Probably not as strong, I would imagine. Not as strong, no. Um, there's a bit of a sort of a logjam because people aren't moving as much as they used to and people are staying in their in their houses for longer and people are living longer. So moving up the chain becomes more problematical. But uh, the first-time buyers are obviously getting their help to buy um, subsidies and various other things. Mm. But it depends where you live, really. Yeah, so help to buy was a feature of uh, one of the results you covered this week, wasn't it, MJ Gleeson? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a little house builder. Um, they, they also sell, they bring land through the uh, planning process. Um, but about 46% of uh, the total sales they make are done through help to buy. Okay. Um, and they're affordable as well. Well, I say affordable, they're 120000 average price, which is um, two-thirds of the uh, national average, so their houses are quite cheap. Not in London, then? No, they're not. They build exclusively in northern England. Um, they usually sort of buy up uh, derelict inner city sites, which the council are happy to um, see redeveloped, so they get pretty good terms. I mean, some of the plots they buy, they're, they're paying eight, 9000 pounds a plot for the land which when you consider they're selling them for 120,000 is a pretty nice margin. Yeah, and I guess the equivalent plot in London would be uh, uh approaching six figures. Yes. Yeah. Well, no, it's it's not that bad actually. It's only about 60,000, I think. Only 60. Only 60. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um yeah, and, and uh, you know, this has been a good tip of yours. Hmm. Um so what do we tip it at? 363 at the beginning of the year up to 475. Yeah. So uh yep. has builders still flying and uh, you think there's there's some uh, life left in this one. Oh, yeah. Um, they sold 62.2 acres of land um, in the last year to uh, house builders. And just after the uh, period end, they secured another 100-acre site um, that they sold. So that's obviously going to build up uh, the profits for this for the current year. And they're going to expand the, the affordable uh, yeah, development as well. They've identified a couple of other areas where they're going to move into. It's all, all north of England. But it, it basically means that instead of a thousand completions t- target, they're looking for three thousand. Yeah, sounds big. That's a mm. big jump. Yeah, big jump. Okay, MJ Gleason, keep an eye on that one. Um, Maybe one of the factors here is that the, um, why the mortgage approvals look very strong with year-on-year comparisons is that this time last year were they were a bit depressed by the mortgage market review, mm. and um, and so I think the, the the housing market seems to be hotting up again after a sort of lull um, last year. So. Yeah, yeah, and also I think there, there might have been a political um, uh, adjustment there as well because in the run-up to the general election, people weren't sure what was going to happen. Interestingly, there was another little company this week that reported. Um, Stephen, you might have spotted this one um, mm. as it came through your uh, your in in tray uh, mortgage advice bureau. Yes, yeah, and this I thought it was really interesting because I mean Ian wrote uh, it was a, it's a kind of lovely sort of colourful piece here which talks about the interrogation that that you know new. Um, mortgage applicants go through when they're trying to trying to buy a house and i've been through this so i know um but yeah tell, tell us what this company does it looks well, interesting yeah it's called mortgage advice bureau and it only listed late last year and um it's a network of mortgage brokers um which is listed on aim um, and apparently um, most brokers mortgage brokers are part of a network 
and they do their kind of back office stuff. And 70% of the brokers that MAB does this kind of effectively franchise work for also op- also use its brand. Okay. And apparently mortgage brokers are taking market share. From, from banks. From banks. So right. if, effectively, it's a bit unusual actually, mostly we talk about disintermediation of the supply chain right but this you know in, in this case there's a bit more intermediation going on and this is because people are finding it so troublesome to well, go to, <laughs> through a bank interrogation that, that a broker is a much more attractive option yeah well that so the chief executive told our writer ian uh, smith in any case i mean you know i mean we have no reason to doubt this but yeah i mean i must say my experience was i went straight to the bank and um I, I, so I, I've never used a mortgage broker. No, neither have I, but I sat in a room for three hours and at the end of it, I thought <laughs> like I was about to pass out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, I mean, it, it might also have something to do with the mortgage market review in that it got a lot harder suddenly to find mm. mortgages. So maybe at that point, you know, I, I got my, mor- my mortgage in the days when they were, when they were just dis- dishing them out and the government hadn't clamped down on it yet. So I guess I got a sweet spot where it wasn't actually that hard. Whereas maybe for the last year or so, people have struggled and have turned to these little um, the mortgage brokers instead. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it's, you know, earnings look like they're growing quickly, dividend growing quickly. So next year, it looks like it potentially uh, nice little income stocks to look at as well. Yeah, and uh, he in- initiated a, a speculative buy rating. He was quite, really quite keen on it. Good. Okay, let's go back to uh, the news and... Uh, we'll talk about Glencore because that's been the big commodity story this week. Um, and it's something that we kind of felt was going to happen for quite some time, didn't we, Mark? Well, uh, when the original listing or prospectus came out, which ran to about 1,700 pages, we, 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 we took a week or so just to go through it line by line. You and, Gra- you and Graham, wasn't it? Graham and I, yes. And uh, it was, in fact, the... the given Did you read the- all 1,700 pages? Absolutely. Well done. What do you think you pay me for? LAUGHTER uh, well, the, the point is, we, we we came to some fairly negative conclusions right towards the end, and and there was general speculation that it was um, uh, listing at uh, the high end of the commodity cycle, and and subsequently the the shares have been underwater ever since. So that points to it. But um, we were even looking at, at the leverage position back then, and what was eventually published in the IC was a, a watered down version because I think we were we came out with some um, early negative conclusions by the end of it. Note, I wasn't the editor at this point. You were not the editor at this point. Um, the, the shares have been falling for the last six months, so they've lost uh, something like 70% of the value in, in six months, which is extraordinary for a FTSE 100 constituent. And people have obviously uh, focused on, on the debt uh, issue and leverage because um, a highly leveraged company will perform well when markets are rising, but the converse is also true as well. Where did it, where did the debt come from when it bought Extrata? And and a number of other uh, acquisitions right. in, in key, key commodity bases that haven't performed subsequently. So what we're looking at here is just the end result of uh, capital spend in commodity markets, and it's manifested itself with Glencore this week. But we may see other sort of plays in the market. Um, the in, the Investec note that precipitated this uh, latest fall uh, also brought in Anglo-American as well. So we're bound to see some other action in this regard. Yeah. So so the, I guess re- reading you know to a logical conclusion, the commodities slump is not over. 
Uh, it no, no. There, there's no sign of it at this stage as well. And uh, interestingly, so, uh, Glencore are now looking to sell off their agricultural arm, which they thought, from a, a thematic point of view, this is going to be one of the long-term uh, supporters of the, of the share price. And now things have become so desperate that they're uh, even looking to hive that off. But with given U.S. dollar strength at the moment. And right across the, the that commodity framework, uh, prices have been suffering. Yeah, Rio Tinto managed to sell something this week, though, didn't it? Yes, and and also uh, there's been a, a large nickel sale uh, earlier on this week as well. But uh, it's uh, it remains a buyer's market at, at this stage as well. Mick Davis has been uh, casting around to try and uh, find a suitable portfolio for his X2 vehicle there. But um, but uh, you know, as I say, it's a buyer's market, and we're ju- we're just waiting for some improvement from China. That's not happening. So Mick Davis was the former. Boss of Extrata. Extrata, and um, he's been in the market for some time now. But do you think uh, he's running running the rule over Glencore again? Uh, Buying back what was, what was once his? Uh, well, it, it's it's very difficult to say. It, it depends. They're looking to try and uh, pare back their debt by about a third in a fairly short sort of time space. And overall prices aren't that good. I mean, it, it's very difficult to see a way out for Glen, Glencore at the moment. Mm. Okay, so what what does that view? Sell. Well, we've never really had a view on the company. I mean, we've had a negative outlook on it, but it's just very difficult to um, to apply our normal valuation metrics given the because of its trading arm. Yeah, we don't yeah. know how that operates. Uh, the company it remains reluctant to this day uh, to. I'm not sure you you could actually give details on this anyway. It'd be far too complex for uh, certainly retail investors to understand. So we've we've basically put our heads in the sand for a number of years in this, but we we have been negative from uh, from year zero really. But we've kind of said from the beginning, just don't get don't get involved with this one. Well, yeah, I guess is is, is our standpoint. Yeah, that's it. I mean, they've got you know they they've obviously got some quality assets looking down through the portfolio at the moment. But uh, when we've had this sustained uh, fall away in commodity prices, no good news with regards to China, then that that level of indebtedness uh, starts to kick in. You get a sort of multiplier effect over time. And uh, that's that's where they are at the moment. Perhaps the, the criticism earlier on this week, some brokers, the house broker and other uh, industry watchers have said that uh, worries over the debt level have been overdone. But it's um, at, at the moment, we, we remain non-committal and negative on Glencore. I'm going to guess the, you know, looking at the, uh, the stats page this week, the, uh, the market data page, you know, you can you look at the FTSE 100. Mm. Its performance over the last year is, is significantly worse than most of the other major markets, and well, I guess it's the commodity exposure it's really weight, shining through there. Well, exactly, it's the weighting towards that as well. And, and even if we we don't have any uh, direct exposure to these companies, we we're going to feel it in the hip pocket. All investors, where anyone saving towards a pension is going to be because of tracker funds. We're assuming you're in a FTSE 100 tracker. Yeah, yeah, but even so, if you've got a, ge- if you've got a general pen- pension fund, it's really hard to avoid uh, exposure to the oil markets and, and to the likes of Glencore. Well, it's really interesting because we often, you know, it's often debated the uh, you know, the benefits of stock picking the, versus the, the benefits of uh, of buying passive vehicles, and you know, this is a real good case for well, why you shouldn't you know, mm. go blindly into trackers. Well, it's only a shame there isn't a weekly publication that uh, offers the <laughs> the opportunity to uh, get up-to-date information on individual it's, stocks as well as the wider market. It's such a good idea. Yeah. It's such a good idea. Maybe we should do it. Answers on the back of a postcard. <laughs> okay. Are we going to talk about rugby now? or Do you want to talk about rugby? I know you're itching to talk about rugby. I am talking itching to talk about uh, rugby. Yeah, so... English rugby players making English football is so good at the moment. For the time <laughs> That's a being. Bit harsh. The time um, being, there's a game on Saturday which uh, 
has obvious implications for England rugby, but has uh, wider business implications as well. All right, go on, detail. Well, obviously, uh, England play Australia in what's effectively a, a knockout game to get to the next round of the Rugby World Cup. The Rugby World Cup, is, is, this, is the, this is the largest one. Every four years, it's grown in, in size and, uh, and in commercial importance as well. And if England get knocked out uh, this coming Saturday then any number of businesses ranging from high street retailers uh, to the obvious ones like the pubs to even sports marketing firms will suffer as a result. And in this week's sector focus, Theron Mohammed has... um, It's a really interesting piece, actually, because it details the wide range of companies that you you can gain exposure to world sports markets. And when you think about it, it's one of the most... um, It's been commoditized... uh, a sport like rugby, for instance, which only a few years ago, a couple of decades ago, was a, a purely amateur affair. Uh, it's It's been commoditized in recent years, and it underlines the fact that sport is big business globally. And Thron's piece in the sector focus uh, outlines a number of uh, companies, a number of sectors that you can gain uh, access to this growth. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was a very interesting piece. Um, I was particularly struck, um, obviously the broadcasters, uh, you know, they're an obvious beneficiary of, uh, of a big tournament like this, but but it's the marketing agencies that, that fascinate me uh, more yeah. than anything. You know, the, the player representation, I think, is really, really quite interesting. Just, you know, the, the levels of sponsorship, the, the money that's being spent here, I think is fascinating. Yeah. There's lots of ways to play that now. On- uh, it's, 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 a U- it's a U.S. Uh, it's a US industry to a large extent people like Mark McCormick who is the most famous in, in that particular complex uh, have um, have developed the industry over the years and I think what it is the model is being exported from the US globally we, we've seen it in the Premier, the Premier League and European football as well but it's expanding now to other sports, which were seen as peripheral rugby being a chief example. But then again, you look at rugby and it's played right across the globe and is increasing in importance mm-hmm. and, um, and and the money that it generates year in, year out. But that's applied across the board. And in fact, you, you look at um, the broadcasters as well. We, we, we see this is a, an industry which is evolving rapidly. But one of the, the chief pools that they've got as broadcasters is bringing in uh, sort of marquee sporting events. And so when I was talking to Thron this morning, um, he was saying that, you know, th- this could be extended in years to come for companies like Amazon who are trying to find their own uh, place within that ferment as well. BT- well, you mean the sort of uh, streaming video type services? Well, exactly. Yeah, uh, yeah, and, yeah. And you look at a company like BT, for instance, who are now so heavily involved in sports. I mean, this would have seemed, this would have seemed um, fantastic 10 years ago. But uh, sport is a key kicker in international uh, global medium. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, look, Stephen, and, and in the piece, there's even a mention of your old favourite, Borussia Dortmund. Particular <laughs> <laughs> favourite of mine, absolutely. absolutely. How did they get on this week? <laughs> uh, OK, right. Um, well, that's enough about rugby. Um, fingers crossed uh, that England get through, yeah. because we would like to see them progress. Um, and uh, come on, Fiji. <laughs> Yes, bull of a knucker. Wow. What does that mean? Oh, it's, it's, it's a... it sounds as made up as is Greek to me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so one company that stands to do well, uh, regardless of England's progress at the weekend, is Darty, which is, in terms of its operational business, largely based in France. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, French are doing all right. Yeah, the French team are going well. So the theory is that lots of French people are going out and buying televisions. Yes, 
Absolutely, but, but we don't care because much more, much more interesting news at Darcy this week. Indeed, uh, Darcy may may not be for these shores much longer because um, it's French Pier Fnac, I believe it's uh, pronounced. I'm not sure. Maybe that's right. Yeah, right on Group. 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 Thank God <laughs> you're here. Thank God you're here. I know. That's if you go, if you go to any any French city, you'll see these department stores. Right, um, uh, and they they have made an approach, an all share approach for Darcy, which appears to value it at around uh, 101 pence per share, which is about 25 percent premium to where the shares were, were trading earlier this week. So. I'm pretty sure that's where the shares used to be a couple of years ago as well. Yeah, so, that's probably. So yes, this was a this was the company that used to own Comet, didn't it? It was, um, but it's now exclusive. Yeah. It's pretty much exclusively French now, and, and this combination with FNAC seems to make sense. Yeah, and we kind of su- suspected that if it didn't get bought, it would delist and move over to France anyway at some point. There you go. Yeah. Okay, that's just about wraps it up for the news section. Um, interesting flotation on the way. Jonas, IB, Stock, another brickmaker. Yeah. Um, it's it's a it's a big one as well. I mean, it's a, it's an opportunist opportunist time to uh, make a flotation because obviously there's um, there's a uh, an imbalance between supply and demand. Um, the big brick mountain of um, of the recession has been used up. Uh, on occasions, they've actually had to <coughs> import bricks, which is obviously very expensive. So if you're a brick maker. Um, Go go to the stock market and raise some money. Yeah, because the other one that's been listed for quite some time is Micklemarsh. Yes, um, that's a fairly large independent. Well, it's the, one of the largest listed ones, anyway. But um, it's a, it's it's still a sort of a, a desperate business in some respects because uh, brick prices only started going up last year, um, and that's the first rise for nearly a decade. So they've really been treading water for since the recession really yeah but generally speaking we like bricks mm. so as we soon are. as we get some more detail we'll have another so look this, at this one this so. private equity company bain capital which bought ibstock less than 12 months ago and it looks like it's going to float it for twice the value of what it paid for it has timed it pretty well yeah have yeah. micklemarsh's shares doubled in value this year <clears throat> yeah they're, for, they're they're one of our tips and they're, they're doing very well hey good stuff well done jonas okay well that's that's i guess Pretty much wraps up news this week. Um, let's let's move on to the cover feature, Jonas. So mm. While you're while you're uh, well, on here. the mic, <coughs> um, we're talking about infrastructure uh, in the UK here. Yeah, um, big subjects. I mean, you know, we hear lots about some of the massive projects that the government wants to to get off the ground, or that are already underway. Things like Crossrail, but this kind of seems to be an eternal promise that, 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 that these projects are going to offer masses masses of business for for the firms involved. But it's 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 an, it's an illusory promise a lot of the time. Tell tell us what's going on there. Uh, money is basically the problem. Uh, it's always been up the, on the political agenda, but um, obviously the recession killed killed spending plans effectively i mean if you take rail as an example um having spent 25 years systematically destroying the rail system and bringing it down to under 10,000 miles they're, they're now spending a lot of money on it but you know 95 billion pounds of work is underway or in the pipeline which sounds impressive but 50 billion of that is hs2 the high speed link and crossrail and thameslink have got another 20 billion so that doesn't leave a great deal left and when you consider that um, the majority of the rail sector is n- not even electrified, but <clears throat> the, the, the benefits of all this aren't really taken on board because uh, London is a good example. It has a, a pretty comprehensive um, transport network. But if you're stuck out in the provinces and there's a diesel train once an hour, 
you're just not going to get the sort of uh, regional growth that you see in London. Now, welcome to my world. <clears throat> yes, indeed. Uh, no, I think we do have electrification. But yeah. uh, from my station, it's once an hour. But, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, you mentioned Thameslink. I, I, I travelled by Thameslink the other day. It was an amazing experience compared mm. to what I'm used to coming in from Essex, <laughs> the Crossrail. Yeah. You know, that's that's going to help us out in the, in, in the sticks, out in Essex, past Shenfield. But, yeah, so these are, these are, these are good big projects, but... I guess uh, are they providing a lot of work for for, the, for listed firms, and uh, you know, is that finding its way through to uh, to profits, and are investors benefiting from from this sort of splurge on on these big projects? Yeah, I mean, it, it it travels down, you know, apart from the the big boys, you know, the the Costains and the um, Carillions, uh, obviously, the subcontracting side is also very much enhanced because you know you need bricks window frames, everything, yeah. uh, electrical components, et cetera, et cetera. So th- there's a lot of feed-off work there. The, the trouble is that a lot of the um, big projects are fairly low margin, so there's not much room for error. You know, you, you've got to, things like uh, nuclear power stations. Um, I think there's plans to build five more, which is why the government has um, gone pretty strong and uh, tried to get some outward or some investment from outside. Um, China has stepped up to the the block and offered to put money in building their own nuclear power stations. But presumably, presumably they will bring in UK contractors to to actually help them build exactly. things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, it's, it's not the contracting side the problem; it's the money. Right. But you know this this idea that you know this idea that we can go to China and, and actually that the, there is money potentially to fund some of the UK infrastructure projects is quite interesting. Yeah. Um, and so, so potentially this opens a floodgate. Yeah, well, the French are already in. They haven't got any money. No, but they've they've got companies that build power stations, uh, EDF. Right. For example. So we've got some power stations coming. What what other and and rail networks, rail investment? What what else have we uh, have we got on the on the horizon? Big ones, Heathrow, of course. But also plans to uh, improve access to the port of Liverpool um, and Manchester and Birmingham airports. There's a 600 million Mersey Gateway bridge. So there's a lot of a lot of stuff going there. And so when we're looking at the companies that are involved in, in delivering these projects, I mean, what, what are we looking for to make sure? Is, I mean, you, you say they're, they're low margin, so they've got to make sure that they, they deliver without any errors. Otherwise, those margins are going to disappear entirely. So what, what are we looking for? As we saw with Balfour Beatty. Absolutely. Right? Yes, exactly. Well, yeah, Balfour Beatty was... But the problem there was during the recession, they took on fixed price work, which is fine, until costs go up, and then you're in trouble. So I guess I guess at the moment you uh, we're in a situation where wages and inflation are fairly benign. That might not remain the case indefinitely. So how are these guys protecting themselves from 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 that potential uh, for, for rising costs? Raw material costs are pretty much under control at the moment. On the on the wages front, there has been some pressure there, but um, they're all starting their own uh, apprenticeship schemes. Um, it's small, but it it's, it will alleviate the problem eventually, and create jobs mm. too. Exactly, yeah, good stuff. And it will also might mean that uh, that I can get to work without too many delays. That'd be nice, <laughs> yeah. wouldn't it, Graham? Mm. Yeah, I believe it when I see it, John. <laughs> yeah, we've got a we've got a new ten, uh, rail tender coming yes. up soon, haven't we? Out Indeed. in, uh, mm. out in uh, Greater Anglia, Greater franchise. Anglia world. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> scepticism over here. <laughs> Uh, okay, thank you, Jonas. I mean, it's an interesting sector, and we think that probably now is as good a time as any to be taking another look at it uh, on the basis that, that as you say, that the kind of blockage seems to have been uh, unblocked. Exactly, yeah. Um, and uh, there seems to be some money coming through from uh, from outside sources. Yeah.
So uh, interesting times there. Um, Stephen, you're looking at China and you're taking stock, aren't you, as it happens? Yeah, well, it, it seems well-timed, I guess, with the end of the AIM reporting season this week. As a result, perhaps, we got a lot of Chinese companies failing to report. Um, because, oh, no. Uh, well, I mean, the, <laughs> one that happened, you know, we used to cover quite a lot as Asian citrus, uh, yeah. orange grower. Mm. And, um, it, you know, it, it was going to report its results and then it had to put out an announcement saying, Oh, yeah. Well, basically, our auditor looked like it wasn't going to sign them off. So we're delaying. And, um, you know, maybe maybe there's nothing dodgy going on there. Um, There was definitely more dodgy going on at CamKids, where um, the Nomad, along with a non-exec and the finance director, all resigned this week. Um, so we may not see it relisted. I mean, it has to it has to yeah, be suspended. Exactly. So it's, nomad sus- it's suspended and yeah may if it doesn't find a nomad within a month which given the current um sentiment towards chinese stock seems highly unlikely then uh it, it's it's going to probably going to de- delist one of about 10 i think that would be the 11th for this year a chinese aim company chinese aim companies exactly yeah. so. the thing about camkids that you point out Stephen, is is the cash theoretically on the balance sheet of that business yes no exactly i i looked i read this and i was like wow that's amazing um, is it is it true? So I looked at the balance sheet, and sure enough, yeah, there's um, fifty three pence, fifty three pence of cash on the balance sheet, and the shares are at four p, which just basically that kind of goes to the the nub of the issue, which is that people don't believe the. It's not that they don't believe the accounts, but they don't believe that um, they don't trust the management to 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 use the money in the accounts. Yeah. Um, in their interests, I guess right. that's it. Is this is this pr- principal agent issue you get right? You, you know, yeah. yeah, we're approaching a huge credibility. If we haven't, if not there already, the credibility of Chinese companies certainly on AIM is is, is as low as it's probably ever been. It's non-existent, I would mm. argue, non-existent. But, and so it was a bit odd that um, yeah, George Osborne um, gave a speech in the Shanghai Stock Exchange about how we should do lots of links between uh, the London and the Shanghai Stock Exchange. Is last week? It seemed uh, anyway. It was amazingly bad timing if you're a follower of mm. <laughs> uh, China's performance on AIM. Do you think George Osborne reads the investors quite <laughs> he, has ri- he has written for it once before. Really? Yeah. Yeah, many years ago, we used to have a guest column, uh, and uh, I'm pretty sure George Osborne once contributed to the Investors Chronicle. Brilliant. Is that when he was in well, opposition? Maybe, huh? When he was in opposition? Uh, yes, it probably was. It probably was. And Let's give him a shout. Yeah, I did, I, yeah I'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> George, can you write us a column on AIM shares, please? Chinese AIM shares. Um, okay, but I mean, generally speaking, I mean, this Chinese AIM issue has, um, while we're on the subject, yeah, you know, there's been a lot of noise around it because it has been pretty unsavoury, the whole mm. the whole affair. Well, there have been some very colourful examples. Yeah, and, and people have then been quick to point the finger at the AIM market as a whole and mm. say what an unregulated nightmare it is and it's just a casino and it's full of criminals trying to fleece you for cash. But then, you know, Actually, we've had lots of AIM companies coming reporting in the last couple yeah, of weeks I and mean, it's plenty of, plenty pretty of, good companies there. Yeah, plenty of decent ones and it's, I mean, it's... It's actually been doing better than the FTSE 100 this year. I'm pretty not surprised. Sure. So, I mean, let's <laughs> not, you know, Glencore's been behaving like an AIM stock, stock this week. So, <laughs> Well, absolutely. <laughs> and we have seen a good trend in the past 12 months, I think, of companies doing what they really should on AIM, and that is graduating up onto the main market as well. Yes. You, know, you, you, so do, you do your apprenticeship almost on AIM, and you prove yourself. Or being yourself, bought out, you know. Be, yeah, and then you move on to yeah. the main market. We had um, the most recent one is, is, is Zagona Communications, which is a. Uh, 
uh, a company that's been been listed to buy um, telecoms assets in Europe, and that's done a deal now and is moving up, doing what it said it should do. You know, so there is still some some decent. And, and responsible behaviour out there. Yeah, I, I really don't think it's unfair to tarnish all companies on aim with the same mm. the same brush. Uh, you know, we've seen some really really great businesses coming through through this market. I CVS think, is a is a is an obvious oh yeah, example. CV, I think it's, that's a wonderful business. Um, of, of, you know, consolidator of veterinary practices announced another deal this morning. Only this morning, yeah, to buy a business in. Northumberland, I think. And it always allows our production team to put pictures of kittens and puppies in the magazine. Oh. <laughs> Very sweet. <laughs> um, yeah, no, no, it's a really great business. I guess it's sort of uh, a smallish version of part of Pets at Home, which we like too. Yes, I mean, less on the retail side, more on the... On uh, the veterinary side, the veterinary which, is, side. which is the growth part of their business at Pets at Home as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, Pets at Home's big story is that it, it, it can kind of bundle the two together. CVS is... Um, is a rollout story really you know it's a or rather a consolidation story it can you know with debt cheap it can buy these things it's not not that it's i mean it's reasonably levered at the moment so i guess it doesn't have that much headroom but it, you know it has a, the, the the growth just seems very reliable there absolutely um one aim stock that's obviously been through the wars is globo that reported this week and uh, i noticed that we've uh we've bravely kept that on a buy when this was a company that was i guess around the same sort of time as the Quindell fiasco and Blur Group and, you know, a lot of these ones that, that were being scrutinised, you know, there were question marks over Globo as well. But, I mean, it's, it seemed okay here. It seems a sentiment thing that's bashed this one again. And yeah, the business well, seems, seems decent. I think being Greek hasn't helped it in the last year. Yeah, though I think only about 7% of its mm. sales are, are in Greece. I mean, it, yeah, we, we had a bit of a discussion, actually, between uh, the tips editor, Al Hall, and... The writer Thera Mohammed and myself, and I think you chipped in as well, Graham. We, we sort of we did keep it on a buy. Basically, it's very speculative. It, if if you believe the numbers, it's sensationally cheap. And um, the issue is that it's a bit unclear why they're raising high yield debt by or raising reasonably expensive debt by issuing high yield bonds when they have so much cash on their balance sheets, and why they end up having so much so many receivables. On their balance sheet, rather than you know, basically the, the suspicion is they report revenues and bump up the receivables, but the is cash it, is always a bit weak. So. There are people who you know, the financial reporting council and people like that who are, who are responsible for keeping an eye on this. Kind oh of yeah, thing. absolutely, and you know that the auditors sign the stuff off, and, and on balance we think okay, well. It's so cheap that I mean, it's you know the shares are trading on about five times earnings, and the gr- the earnings are growing very fast too. So if you basically, it's one of those ones. If you believe the earnings, then then it then it's a you know, absolute standout buy. Um, but there is a sort of doubt over you know over how much cash it can actually generate. Mm, well, if you, if you go to the website, uh, Simon Thompson has also written extensively on Globo. I think he did a column within the last two weeks, and you know, Simon's gone into great depth at looking at this company as well and, and his conclusion is positive as well yeah okay i guess time but, will tell but i mean you know it's, it's, we, we're, we're yeah. as conf- confident and comfortable as we can be i guess and uh yeah okay all right well thank you everybody um so as i said just just running through what else we've got in the magazine uh algae halls looked at investment trust with a stock screen this week um we have a uh david stevenson uh, updates on his sip portfolio he's had a torrid three months but haven't we all? Um, plenty in the personal finance and funds section, which they will talk about on their podcast tomorrow. Um, and other than that, usual tips uh, and such the like and columnists. And uh, I guess that, that just about wraps that up. So um, pick up the magazine. Uh, Building Britain, how to invest in the next wave of British infrastructure, £4.50 in all good news agents. And uh, we'll catch up again next week. Thank you very much. 
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.